the Oakdale Christian Centre podcast. During the summer months, members of our church volunteer to lead the Thursday night Bible study. In this recording, I lead a study into the breath of God. The main reading is Ezekiel chapter 37. By now, you should know that when I do a study, that uh, I'm not Wayne, I'm not Micah, I'm not Dave. Uh, I'm not really one for some really deep theological thoughts. Uh, I love how Wayne in particular can take just one or two words from a verse and dig into all kinds of scripture and detail based on the original language and culture to get some wonderful insights into what it's going to tell you. And I'm often amazed how Dave can take uh, a thought or a series, uh, like a, a couple of verses or a chapter, and pull a whole series of thoughts together and still pull out something different that we can learn nearly every time. Um, but with me, that isn't what you're going to get. I'm far more simple than that. Uh, I'm guessing you probably know that by now. Tonight, we're going to have a dig into what the Bible teaches on God's breath, or the breath of God. The first part of Ezekiel 37 that we've just read um, is one of those really well-known stories from the Old Testament. Uh, Like many of you, I remember learning this one in Sunday school. You know, I guess it's one of those parts of the Bible that lend itself to imagining and you can do all sorts of fun stuff to teach the kids the story. And it's kind of easy for kids to understand, I suppose. But actually, it's an incredibly important prophecy. Before we dig into Ezekiel, though, let's go back a bit. In preparing this study, um, it, kind of, it kind of felt like there were there's some obvious aspects of the breath of God that jumped out at me. Uh, so the first one is that the breath of God is creational. Um, can we have reading one, which is Genesis 2, please? And the Lord God formed, formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted the garden east of Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Not only is the breath of God creational, it's the difference between something that is alive and something that isn't. The breath of God is life-giving. There's a bit of an interesting difference, though, I spotted, between how God creates the animals and how God creates humans. Let's read read a couple of verses from Genesis 1, which is reading to, I think that's you, Josh. Yes. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move among the ground, along the ground, I should say, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. Mm -hmm. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kind, the livestock according to their kind, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in the number. Fill the earth and 
subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Isn't it interesting, the difference? Although God creates the land and all the animals on it, he doesn't breathe into them the same way he breathes into Adam. And for me, this seems like one of the main differences between us and all of the creature, create, other creations that God made. That's because when God breathed into Adam, he was passing on a bit of himself. And actually, verse 26 that Josh has just read talks about, um, let us make man in our image. And it seems, you know, one of the possibilities that God is doing, and he never just does one thing when, he's, when he talks in this kind of way, is that this is part of God's intentional wrong, that, that, that part of us will, live, will be part, you know, make it, made it in his own image in that sense. Um, in the Psalms, uh, David also acknowledges the creational power of God's breath. Um, can we have reading three, uh, which is Psalm um, 33. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. The stadios by the breath of his mouth. He gathered the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. <coughs> Let all the people of the world reverend him. Now, you may say to me, hang on there, Nick. It sounds like Psalm 33 disagrees with what Genesis says. John, Genesis doesn't talk about God breathing the stars into place. Well, actually... You're right, Genesis doesn't say that. It actually says God speaks the stars into place. But I think we can only allow David a little bit of poetic license, as I challenge you to speak without breathing. <laughs> yeah. So we just read the Valley of Dry Bones prophecy, uh, which also gives a great example of God's creation of breath. As I mentioned, the imagery of this prophecy is, is incredibly compelling. That the idea that in this valley is just is just death, just piles of bone, and God's power brings those bones back to life, adds skin, adds muscle, but it's not until God's breath is breathed into them that they become alive. Apparently, if you can read Hebrew, and I can't, um, the same way uh, the same word used in Ezekiel 30, uh, thirty-seven to do with the breath or the wind is the same word for God's breath that we just read back in Genesis chapter 2, where God breathes into Adam. It's, it's the same word, and, and that means you've got, you've got a link going on there. On the face of it, this prophecy is to do with Israel and the exile of the Jews to Babylon. The book of Ezekiel was written during that time, and in the previous chapter, uh, Ezekiel proclaims a blessing to all of Israel, that they will produce fruit, even though now they're in desolation, they're in a really bad place. They will re-inhabit their towns and see the ruins of Israel rebuilt. During the time of Ezekiel, the Babylonians absolutely trashed Israel. They took a number of slaves and people captive, um, such as Daniel and his friends that we read in Daniel chapter 1, and they, they wrecked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. Restoration seemed impossible. They were under the foot of the most powerful empire at the time. They could see no possible way of rebuilding Israel. 
In essence, they were like dry bones. A dead nation, full of absolutely no signs of life or recovery. It would take an absolute miracle for them to rebuild. And that's where we find Ezekiel 37. Basically, God is saying to the Jewish nation, I'm not finished with you yet. I'm still going to do great things with you. It might feel like the end of the road, and as a notion, you're dry bones, but thank the Lord, he's a miracle worker. And dry bones is something he can work with. As I'm sure you all know, of course, that God does bring them back from exile and rebuild Israel. Fortunately, this prophecy also uh, it gives us an image of a wider truth here, because we know that God doesn't change. So if we look around us now, we can often, often metaphorically see dry bones, yeah. the move towards humanism and secularism in all around the world and in our country. People around us who just have no interest in that God stuff. Yeah. Our family and friends who maybe once alive in faith have maybe fallen away. But God can work with dry bones then, and he can still work with dry bones now. Yeah. I hope that excites you. Because I can't imagine how God's going to do it, but I do know he will. He said he will. It's in the book. So going hand in hand with uh, God's creational breath is God's powerful breath. Uh, can we have reading four, which is Psalm 18, please? The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot the arrows and scattered the enemies. Great boats lightning and rooted them. The valley of the sea were exposed, and the foundations of the earth laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of your breath from your nostrils. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy. Yes. Thank you. From my foes, or words were strong for me. Thank you. It's been said before, and it'll be said again, our God is powerful. I'm guilty of often forgetting just how powerful God is as I live day to day. I love the fact that we have a personal God, a God that does want to talk to us, that does want to hear about all the little and the big stuff that's going, in our life, going on in our lives. But in that, we can often shrink our image of God down to something that we can understand. But sometimes you've just got to remind yourself just how big our God is. The next major aspect of God's breath that I wanted to look into was God's breath of life. Because, you know, once he's created something with his breath, he then keeps it alive, or maintains, it with his breath too. I find the story of Job to be absolutely fascinating. I've used it a number of times when I've done these studies. Because it, it really gives some interesting aspects into the, the spiritual world, uh, as well as the culture of the time. If you think about it, the book of Job is a really unusual book. It gives a clear review of some spiritual things that are only hinted at in the rest of the Bible. Yeah. It's quite hard to place it into the Bible timeline, although when I followed a read the Bible chronologically type plan, it was uh, placed towards the end of Genesis. I read a quote about the book of Job which said, um, for most readers, when they get to the end of Job, they, they think to themselves, well, I'm not entirely sure what I've read, but it was pretty profound. <laughs> I have to say that that's very much where I, when I read Job, that's where I'm at. Um, anyway, um, 
as you know, much of Job uh, documents the the, doc, uh, the conversation between Job and his and his friends. Can I make a suggestion that if you've got some friends like Job's, maybe time to get some new friends. Um, even having said that, one of Job's friends makes a really good point that we can uh, about the breath of God uh, that's worth thinking about, and that's uh, reading five Job thirty four, please. So listen to me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God to do evil, from the Almighty to do wrong. He repays everyone for what they have done. He brings on them what their conduct deserves. It is unthinkable that God would do wrong, that the Almighty would, per- would pervert justice. Who appointed him over the earth? Who put him in charge of the whole world? If it were his intention, and he withdrew his spirit and breath, all humanity would perish together, and mankind would return to the dust. If you have understanding, hear this. Listen to what I say. Can someone who hates justice govern? Will you condemn the just and mighty one? Is he not the one who says to kings, you are worthless, and to nobles, you are wicked? Who shows no partiality to princes, and does not favour the rich over the poor? they are all the work of his hands. It's that middle verse that I was thinking about here, uh, verse 14. Not only is God's breath the creator of life, it's the maintainer of life. Without God's continual breath, then we die. I'm not sure how many times I've heard it said, and I've said it myself, but we need to be in God's word all the time. Because it's one of the, way that, one of the ways that God maintains us with his breath. Reading 6, 2 Timothy, please. But as for you, continuing what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through mm-hmm. faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God's breath, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word is breathed out by him. When we cut ourselves off from God's word, then we're cutting ourselves off from the breath, the, 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 the breath of God and the, the life that it gives us. Uh, reading 7, please. Uh, Luke 23. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. Let's take a moment to remind ourselves that Jesus, who never sinned, took on our sins, which cut him off from God, which killed him more than any nails did. The final aspect I wanted to go into um, about God's breath being the, 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 the spirit of God. I've said before, I often find myself finding out new things or realising concepts when I, when I put, pull one of these studies together. And this time I think it's this aspect that uh, God was giving me a bit of a nudge about. Because um, I hadn't really realised that, that God's breath and the spirit of God were sort of kind of linked. Uh, so I guess that's what he's trying to teach me this time. So let's read a bit of Ezekiel 37 again. Um, Reading 8, please. 
Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews in your in you and and bring flesh upon you, cover you cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and a su- and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also he said to me, Prophesy to the, to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to, say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. So, and it was actually this, it was uh, verse 5 from Ezekiel 37 that set, that set me on this track. Because um, one of the Bibles uh, that I was reading has little footnotes on the verses um, to help clarify particular words. And there was a, a footnote on Ezekiel 37 verse 5, which, uh, where it talks about the breath, and, and the footnote was wind or spirit. Yeah. And I'd already said, uh, earlier I said, that the same word that is used in verse 5 then was the one that's used in back in Genesis 2. So it's all linking. Do you see what I mean? So, in fact, what I think God is trying to get me to learn here, while getting this ready for tonight, is that God's breath is his spirit. Uh, Reading 9, John 20. Yeah, yeah, John 20. In the same day to the when the disciples were gathered in the field of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as my Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And as a Pentecostal church, we're somewhat familiar with Acts uh, 2. Um, which is uh, reading 10. On the day of Pentecost and fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then they appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. A rushing mighty wind. Yeah. See? It's a good job that God knows what he's doing with the Bible because it's all you, you, you don't have to dig very far and you do see the links in it. So the church I grew up in uh, always mentioned the Holy Spirit, but always as a kind of a passing thought. Uh, I guess it's quite easy to understand the concept of, of God as, as the creator. And then we know that Jesus walked the world and something, so that's you know, something we can relate to. But the Holy Spirit is a slightly harder concept for us to get our heads around. 
But it is crucial that, that as Christians, we live in the Spirit. If you've been coming to this church for any length of time, you'll know that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that we strongly believe in. I heard someone say something that has really stuck with me. Living as a Christian without the Holy Spirit is like trying to chop down a tree with a penknife. <laughs> having the Holy Spirit is more like having a chainsaw. Uh, can we have reading 11, which is Joel 2, a very familiar reading. And I will restore to you the years that the locusts oh, have eaten, the cankerworm, and the caterpillar, and the palm worm, my great army which I sent among you. And ye shall eat in plenty, and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, that hath dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, Blood and fire and pillars of smoke, and the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Amen. So it's got God's spirit over all of us, which is brilliant. It's how I'll know when I'm old, it's when I uh, start having dreams. <laughs> um, so this is such a familiar reading. It's, it's uh, a real promise of God. Yeah. We need to be breathing in the breath of God all the time, living in the spirit. Let's think about it like this. How many of you have been to Cabri World over in Birmingham? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so when you get there and you open the car door, What's the first thing you notice or you do? Anyone? Well, <laughs> what did you do, Mike? <laughs> for me, it's I take in the huge breath of chocolatey air because the smell of chocolate just, is the, just invades the whole area. And breathing in the breath of God, living in the spirit, should be like living next door to Cabri World. Every breath that you take should be, should be filling you with the spirit. Here's another example. Whenever we stay over at Jen, that's my wife, whenever we stay over at her parents, my mother-in-law has a theory that the best way to get me out of bed is to make bacon sandwiches. Now, I'm not stupid. I'm not going to tell her, but argue with her. You know, it's crazy, wouldn't I? She said to me that it doesn't matter how deeply asleep I could be, that within a minute or so of them getting the bacon on and that smell wafting around the house, that I'll be waking up and going, ooh, bacon sandwiches. I think it's her version of wake up, I sleeper, and rise from your bed. <laughs> but breathing in that smell of bacon wakes me up. It gets me ready for the day. Breathing in God's spirit should be exactly the same. It should reinvigorate us and give us the, the ability to face whatever the day may, or whatever the world may throw at you. I'm sure if I were Dave, I could probably turn up uh, a whole set of characteristics on the breath of God and turn it into a six-part study. But I think for tonight, we'll just concentrate on these three. 
the creational breath of God, the life-maintaining breath of God, and God's breath empowers us with the Holy Spirit. So the question is, now we've had a short look into the topic, what's the impact? We know that just having understanding of God's word isn't enough. Unless we, were, unless we let it work its way in our lives, reading the word is lovely and interesting, but not transformational. Like we read in Timothy earlier, we've got to let God's word flow throughout our whole being. Hearts as well as heads, you could say. So I picked up, uh, picked out a couple of things that we can learn from all this. Remember that the Bible uh, refers to the word of God and the spirit of God as breathed out by him. I think the first thing we could take from all of this is how necessary to life it is. Having the breath of God within us is, is so important. You only have to link this through to our natural breath. If you stop breathing, it doesn't exactly do you very much good. And in the same way, if we starve ourselves, starve ourselves of God's word, of his presence, it can be incredibly damaging to our spiritual lives. Many of you will know my, my testimony, that I grew up in a church. Um, I come from four generations of salvationists, so people that go to the Salvation Army. I first met the Lord properly in my late teens, and for a number of years was, was very close to him and, and trying to live out his plan for me. But when I married Jim and we, we had the kids, life kind of pushed God off to the sidelines. Sure, we'd go down to services down in Cardiff every Sunday. I wore the uniform, I played in the band, sang and played in the choir. But in terms of my walk, I wasn't doing so well. Pride had gotten in, and I was quite pleased with myself. I'd worked hard for university, got a good job, a house, wonderful family, and God was kind of feeling pretty irrelevant. It got to the point where going on a Sunday felt like a real inconvenience, and that it was all kind of pointless. As a family, we decided to stop going to the services on Sunday and step back. At the time, we were living just over the road here on Central Avenue, and uh, often I'd come, here, come home from a Sunday uh, evening service and I'd, I'd hear the, church, the, the music from over the road here. And um, when we explained to the kids that we were probably going to stop going to the army on a Sunday, God used Chloe who asked me, well, why don't we go to the church over there? And thank the Lord, when the kids and I came on a cold night in January, God was waiting here for me and he rekindled our relationship. But my experience demonstrates just how risky cutting yourself off from God can be. I stopped breathing in the breath of God and it could have ended up very differently. It did for Jack. And it's a situation I pray for all the time. The human body is a wonderful thing. And there's other parallels we can draw between natural breathing and the breath of God. Reading 12, Ephesians 5, please. See then, and you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time for the days are evil. Therefore be not unwise, but understanding that which is the will of God. And be not drunk with wine, where in excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. This reading encourages us to fill our lives with godly things. Because what's the alternative? People who have nearly drowned, actually actual drowned, 
says there's a point in which your body gets so it has the urge to breathe is so overpowering mm -hmm. that it doesn't matter that they know they're about to breathe in water and that it would do you more harm your body just has to do it spiritually speaking we have the same urge an urge to fill our lives with something because for us as Christians that, should, that something should be God but it can be quite easily become those things that are around us Dave often mentions the TV or the box in the corner of the room for me it's actually a good book not the good book but, but a novel and, and that's how I get the, the very little free time that I get that's, that's how I enjoy spending my time for others it might be films or music, or the internet, or the endless scrolling on Facebook. That's not to say these things are bad necessarily, but we have to watch that they don't start taking over and getting in our way of God. Time for a confession. I always do one of these. There's been times where I have thought to myself, right, let's get my daily Bible reading done, have a chat with the big guy, and then I can get back to my good book, my, my chapter in my book. I'm not exactly neglecting God when I'm thinking that way. But he's not exactly taking prime of place, is he? Yeah. Another takeaway we can take uh, from, or a lesson we can learn from the, the breath of God, um, is the continual nature of reading. Uh, reading 13, which is Ephesians 6, please. Pray in the Spirit at all times, with all kinds of prayers, asking for everything you need. To do this, you must always be ready and never give up. Thanks. Always pray for all God's people. Thank you. I should work out, I should remember where the verse is then, shouldn't I? <laughs> Another very familiar verse there. But it backs up the continual nature of receiving God's breath into our lives. A commentary I read uh, in getting ready for this study uh, used the idea of God's name as a breathing exercise. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to go all hippie on you. Um, <laughs> The, the author said, think of God's Jewish name, Yahweh, as you go through life. You could think of the word Yah as a breath in and the way as the breath out. So, Yah, oh, I'm going to try it. I messed that up completely. Um, um, it all feels a bit out there for me, but I'm going to. It, it illustrates the point nicely that as we take in air, we take in God. And as we breathe, as we breathe out, we show God to those around us. What's our, church thing? What's our church saying? To know him and to show him. Yeah. It's exactly the same thing. It's just a different way of thinking about it. Did you know the average person breathes 13 pints of air a minute? And that uh, on average we would take 17,000 breaths a day. Remembering back to my biology lessons in school, I remember being taught that uh, the oxygen that we breathe in is put into the bloodstream through the lungs. Then, then the bloodstream goes throughout your body and generates carbon dioxide as a waste product. And, and that gets breathed out. And can we do our final reading, which is uh, Titus 3? At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. And when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. Yeah. He saved us through what we rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. 
The final point I wanted to pull out was probably something we all <coughs> know or certainly should do. In the same way that breathing in oxygen cleanses the, dark, the, uh, the dark carbon dioxide from our bodies, <coughs> breathing in God's breath and the Holy Spirit <coughs> cleans out the sins in our lives. I'm sure I'm not the only one who has experienced a prompting from the Holy Spirit that says, Oi, you're doing it wrong, you've got it, you need to fix that. Getting into God's word and spending time with him, breathing his breath in, will be absolutely transformational. I love the song we sung earlier, um, This Is The Air I Breathe. It's one of those songs that in just a very few words expresses exactly how we should be living and how we should be thinking about God and it's such a simple way of doing it. And as a reminder, the lyrics say, this is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. This is my daily bread. Your very word spoken to me. And I'm desperate for you. And I'm lost without you. As we go into prayer in a minute, if this isn't how you feel, if you do not feel lost without him, if you're not desperate for him, then ask him to fill you again with his breath. enjoyed this episode to find out more about our church including our service times visit www.oakdalechristiancentre.org